Welcome to another episode of Sonic Talks. It's number 293, uh, going out live today, Wednesday the 28th of Dis- November. Gosh, on the cusp of December. Even though I have been seeing Christmas trees everywhere, it feels a little bit premature. I'm Nick Back, editor of sonicstate.com. Uh, that'll be me there. And uh, I'm bl- very pleased to have uh, a, a fulsome number of people with us. Uh, but first, uh, a big hello to those in the chat room. Oh, we've got a very full chat room this week. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you haven't, uh, if you're wondering what is this chat room, then uh, please come to sonicstate.com forward slash live at around 4 p.m. on UK time, where we've got a live video stream of this and also uh, a chat room so you can participate. In fact, the chat room is our kind of giant turbo brain. So if ever we're stuck for facts, then uh, they very often help us out with uh, the details that we're searching for. So uh, let's just uh, come straight in. We'll start uh, with, uh, oh, let's see, we'll have uh, Gaz Williams over there because Gaz is, um, is there. Hello, Gaz Williams, and I've changed your lower third. Look, you've got your gold star and the uh, songsurgeon.co.uk. Gaz Williams, of course, bass player, uh, producer, engineer, um, technologist type person. Uh, how are you, Gaz? Oh, yeah, I'm really happy. Thank you very much. Good. I'm glad to hear it. It's been one of those good days today. Lots of good things happening today, so I'm very pleased, um, and I hope it's the same all round. Anyway, Gaz, um, nice to see you there. Is there something going on up there? Have you got some kind of a... um, There's some baffling or something just above your head. Is that new? This here? Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's just... uh, uh, The cupboard doors are open. Uh... It's just a, uh, it's a, a, an SM Pro mic thing. Ah, right, yes, gotcha. Okay, well, anyway, Gaz, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll uh, move on to our next guest. We'll go over to Dave Spears, g4software.com. There you go, Dave. How are you, Dave? Dave is in his new place, uh, looking a little bit uh, ragged around the edges, if you don't mind my saying. So have you been giving the runaround for your internet connection? I've been following your tweet saying, oh, my God, they've messed it up. But uh, we finally got you. We've tracked you down. Did this, this, I get, I'm guessing the satellite truck arrived okay then, yeah? Uh, no, it's very long and very complicated and very boring, so I won't go into it. Okay. Uh, um, th- this may not last for the entire show, but let's try it. Well, that'll be quite interesting. Gives us an added frisson, I think, is what we're looking for. Yeah, just keep you on your toes. Yeah, bit. well, as well as, the, as well as the live audience, we've got a potential internet connection going down. But there's always the opportunity of that, because we can have Skype bad weather uh, of, as ever, can't we? So uh, that's just the way it goes. And anyway, we'll go back. We'll, we're now, we're going to leap over to the other side of the pond, and we're going to say hello to Mr. Richard Hilton, who we haven't seen for ages since, in fact, Hurricane Sandy and before. So we're glad to see you there, Rich. And perhaps if you speak, I can then guess which window you're going to go into. But uh, <laughs> Hello. Nice Hello. To see you. There, there he is, Rich Hilton. There in all his glory. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us, Rich. And how, how have things been? I'm guessing you have your power and you have your kind of amenities back and all of those things. So uh, I'm glad to know that. Well, I'm glad to know it too. For now. Oh, is but it very up and down? Well, it's the third time in about 14 months that we went a week or more, you know, or nearly a week without power uh, due to a storm. Wow. So. It's time to plan for... Going to be buying a generator for Christmas then? It, well, I don't know. Well, yeah. Or, some, or as soon after Christmas as we can swing it, yeah. 
Wow. I, I guess sales of uh, generators must be going through the roof. Around. Oh, there are times you have to drive like a thousand miles to get one. Wow. Kind of thing. You know, um, during those down times when everybody's not got power, they're very valuable commodities. Apparently. Yeah. So what's it going to be a generator and uh, some kind of satellite internet connection and a big pile of logs? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. There's something like that. I'm not quite all the way into survivalist mode yet. No, There's a okay. television show here about people who are preparing for you know Armageddon all the time. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm glad to hear that, Rich. That's, that's a sort of fairly extreme place to be, and I, I hope it may long it stay, stay that way anyway. Absolutely. Rich Hilton, of course, a studio uh, main man for uh, Nile Rodgers in his private facility and a fully paid-up member of the Travelling Disco um, you call them the Disco Circus. I think it deserves a little higher praise than that. The, the disco band, the only disco band you'll ever need to see. Got any gigs over the New Year and Christmas, or do you, do you tend to have that off? Oh, no, we're about to embark on a whole lot of traveling right now. Uh, between now and the end of the year, I'll go back and forth to Europe twice, and I'll spend a week in Japan. Wow, okay. Exciting times, then. Yeah, Anyway, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll also go over to Mark Tinley, uh, likebeing.com. If Mark speaks, I can guess his window too. And now in the... Number three. <laughs> oh, that's not a lot. You need to speak more than that. What's going on? It's, oh, not, it's not switched. Oh, that was a... There we go. There he is, Mark Tinley. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, uh, sound artist, creative thinker, and general kind of uh, technologist chap. Every week, a different hairstyle. I don't know how you do it. You must spend so much time at the stylist. <laughs> I've got a number of different hats, and when I wear different hats, my hair changes. I don't ah, know gotcha. Well, thanks right. for joining us, anyway, Mark. And uh, and we've got. Right. It's like it feels like all the gang is here, which is a nice place to be. So uh, welcome everybody, and let's let's just get on. So the first item in the list is ah yes, how could you not want one of these? Assuming, of course, you have uh, the finances available to. Uh, to hold out for it this is uh, the sort of beautiful um, it's like the kind of artisan video of them making the Moog Voyagers uh, I don't think this is specific to the Golden Moog Voyager this looks like this is the sort of thing that they make you know they just do anyway I'm guessing this is in the uh, in the sort of uh, artisan workshop These, this is the news of the uh, 50 uh, 24 karat gold plated uh, Voyager 10th anniversary Voyager only 30 made um 15,000 bucks and it looks like they've actually taken them off the site so it looks like they've actually sold them all although there is one up for competition grabs you can win I don't know if they sound any different I shouldn't imagine so I, I would just I don't know I don't know what anybody thinks about this I mean would you would one feel comfortable with having one of those about the place I mean it seems a bit ostentatious in this uh, in these times I don't know I'd like a Moog Voyager and I suppose if it had to be gold, I'd take it if it really was the only one I could get. <laughs> Rich, got a movie. Ex exactly. Get one of these for Christmas? Uh, no, but it's what you just said. <laughs> I wouldn't kick it out of bed, but um, yeah, all right. I think I like it better than the white stuff. 
I'm not sure about the wise stuff. The wise stuff looks right. The, the, I, I did. Um, I did see a comment in our um, uh, when I posted this that uh, it said, uh, "Ambassador, with these moogs, you are spoiling us," and it sort of did remind me a little bit of the Ferrero Rocher <laughs> kind of packaging. I don't know why that. I mean, that which doesn't isn't kind of perhaps the most certainly in this country. It's not the most high budget uh, chocolates that you can buy. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit flippant. All right, Gaz. Don't love, I don't love the white stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. Gaz, yeah. Gaz, what do you think? You going to get one? Um, I, I'm not going to get one, I don't think, but I would like one. I think, I, I know a lot of people are thinking it's really a little bit gross, but um, I think it's quite good fun. I think it would look great on stage. It could be a sort of private bling, couldn't it? Sort of thing that you only show, you know, yeah. you only show kind of very, uh, you, you only keep, you keep it in the toilet that guests don't generally get to see. It's only when people have, you know people really well that they would uh, get to use that one, you know, and that's where you keep your moog so that people can see it. <laughs> that's where you keep your gold discs as well. I think if it was the uh, old school, I, I, I'm sad they stopped making the old school actually. I thought that was a really appealing, I like I liked the old school. Um, the old school the, Voyager. Yeah. Um... You know, I, I don't know why they stopped making it. Maybe it just wasn't selling much or maybe... I don't know, but they seem to have a race on and, you know, it's just kind of variants and colouring and all that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know what the audience is for Moog owners, but I'm imagining that they might be selling multiples to various different people. I don't know, or maybe it's for, for, for stage work. I know, Dave, you probably know this. You're, you're kind of... Um, you swim with the the synthesists, perhaps um, on a more regular basis. <laughs> perhaps you could inform us. Yeah, you know, no one is getting any of, your, any of your clients getting one. No, we bought them. All ah, of them. Wow. No, that's a complete live course. I, I suspect there'll be quite a lot of hip hop artists really interested in this for the bling value, don't you think? I am guessing that that's probably the case. I mean, it really is the sort of like check out my Moog or check it out my gold plated MPC. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a million years. In fact, the first time I ever went to America, uh, it was somewhere in North LA, and uh, a friend of my dad's used to fit out like jets, jumbo jets and stuff like that for Arabs. I remember going to this airport and getting on one of these planes, expecting to be kind of blown away, but actually it all looked a little bit kind of bleh. So, yeah, I like the white ones. You do like that. Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe what they need to do is they do one for everybody. So you just basically, they could do all these different res- ones and then, you know, you could get a, whatever you fancy. And then they can resell them. So you can have a different one for different parts of your studios. You know, you have the white one for the very dark corner of your studio and the, maybe the, the, the dark one for the very light corner of your studio. <laughs> if you're a complete arse. Yeah, maybe. I, I think we're, we're, I'm clutching at straws. But, I mean, they do sell very well. And it, it, the thing is, it's quite interesting about the way that the Moog thing... They, the, these special um, editions seem to work really well for them, and they can just kind of keep managing to keep sort of coming up with them, and people just seem to go for it, which is brilliant, really, because it's sort of custom yet um, also, you know, mass, but not quite mass, massively mass. I know, Mark... What do you think? Is uh, any of your well, clients going to be getting one, or f- past or present? Um, let's see. I suppose I mean, you can I, say whatever you like, really. Go back. I'm going to spin back to the 1970s when I was but a small child, and I remember going to the bicycle shop and buying this fabulous spanner. It's 24-carat gold-plated spanner. <laughs> <laughs> and being able to mend my bicycle with it. But, of course, as soon as I started using it, all the gold plating came off, and oh. I noticed as they were building those things that they were very carefully constructing it wearing white cotton gloves so I'm sort of thinking well how thick can you put gold onto 
the thing that you're plating. If it's anything like my spanner, I imagine that if anybody uses it in earnest, a bit of sweat at a gig, <laughs> you're going to have thousands of pounds of gold dripping off onto the floor, aren't you? So I don't, mm. think, I don't think it's very practical, personally, but... Just out of interest, how, how much, what sort of a premium did you pay for your gold spanner? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It was, only a, it was only a few pence more, actually. It wasn't oh. massively expensive. But I don't think 24-garat gold, um, you know, they can put that on very thin. And I don't yeah, think it's like it's a micron or something. I think they put it on quite thick on this one. Right. It's been dipped. Well, I think that I want, I want a brass, copper, and mahogany moog. So one of the, uh, that's the one I want, steampunk moog. I think that would be really cool. I mean, having just watched that video, it seems that they could make that front panel out of absolutely anything. So why not brass, copper, and, like, the steampunk mahogany? Actually, copper's probably more expensive look, <laughs> at the moment. I want it to look it? like something out of a Sherlock Holmes movie. So it ah. Moog, if you're listening, can I have one of those, please? It'd be nice. It needs to have one of those kind of Bakelite uh, telephone dials on it to oh, do something yeah. or other, Bakelite whatever that is. Well, yeah. Bakelite <laughs> yeah. knots and, and copper and brass and weird wiggly wire things coming out everywhere. Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Well, I'll, I'll put you down for one of those, and I'm sure it will be coming along soon. But if you want, uh, if you want it, uh, let me see. I think I've actually got the, uh, uh, I've got the page here that we can probably switch to. Yeah, the 10-year anniversary, you can enter um, the, the giveaway. They've got one to give away. Uh, if you already own a Voyager and you've registered your product, uh, you've already been uh, entered. So, so there you go. So I don't know whether that means they've made 31 or whether the, they've, they've sold 29 and there's one left. I guess um, we can probably um, not worry too much about that. I'm sure we can figure it out. Is this the one that's being raffled off for the um, Bob Moe Foundation, is it? Uh, I don't think it, I'm not sure if it's a raffle or not, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I haven't done enough research to be able to answer that with any authority. <laughs> um, but I can, I'm sure the chat room would be able to help if there, anyone would care to find out. Uh, Maybe, maybe it's a separate one. Maybe they, maybe they haven't. All right. Anyway, but if you want to so go... They'll have to be, be number-stamped, won't they? Like one of 30 or whatever. I would have so, thought so, yeah. I would that's, think that's, that's exactly the only way they're going to be really valuable. Special edition, here we go. Right, next is... Ah, this is pretty cool. Uh, or not. Depends on your opinion. The new Poly 6 app running on the iPad Maxi and Mini together. Gold-plated Poly 6, that has a thought. is so fabulously cheesy this t- this track it actually is a brilliant demonstration of oh. yeah great stuff and um, that's the news of the new uh, poly 6 ipad app which i'm guessing is coming from the uh the kind of legacy collection code that they did a t- 10 years ago that they ported over to ipad world which seems good and, and if that's what it was i mean it sounded like it was fairly well hyped and mastered but it did sound pretty good 
Um, I don't know. Uh, this, the, I, I don't know whether it's got MIDI or any of those things. I'm guessing, Gaz, you may have the scoop on this, being uh, the co-host on Sonic Touch, which you can watch <laughs> elsewhere on this network. Um, what do you think, Gaz? Looks great. Uh, and, and as with the other Korg apps, like the IMS-20, uh, it's not just simply a accurate uh, recreation of the at Poly 6, but uh, like a fully featured music production system in that you can there's a sequencer and two track sequence two track polyphonic sequencer you've got two instances of the poly six and yeah. a drum track yeah that's right and it's and got I, whist apparently which yep. is the the auto start stuff yeah so i mean like it makes the whist idea quite attractive you know if like you've got that on one and an ims 20 on another one and you know you have an entire co- a virtual collection of uh, polyphonic analog. I want the Monopoly next. Um, uh, the chat room, uh, I'll say also, um, it will run on iPad 1, apparently, though it's recommended on 2. I, I like the new term for iPad 1, which is iPad Vintage. I think that's, <laughs> that's great. The, tw- the two-year-old piece of hardware that's now become iPad Vintage. I think maybe Rich has got one of those. Something to, to save. But I was going to say, they've also, got, they've also implemented their almost ubiquitous Chaos Pad Type of yeah, got a couple of those, isn't it? It's got a couple of yeah. uh, case pads as well, which you can use then as uh, you know, map to scales as as uh, as a way of playing notes in and and uh, and, and uh, for anyone who's tried that with the IMS twenty, is actually quite a, it's quite nice, it's quite good fun, you know. So uh, so I think as a package, and I believe it is half price at the moment, uh, fourteen ninety nine dollars. I saw in the app store. I don't know whether that is yeah, the case. It's, it's it's I think it's half price at the moment and. Uh, in fact, I think all the Korg apps are down at half price at the moment as a promo period. So anyone in uh, iOS land, I think, is a good time to, to get into the Korg stuff. But uh, I, I would say that they are some of the best apps out there. And I think that... Uh, yeah, I've done a good job. Haven't got, haven't got it yet, but I will be getting it soon. I, got, I, I input my code today, but I haven't had a chance to download it. Um, the thing is, though, and this is—I may be controversial about this, but I never actually—I mean, I know that it was a reasonably good price, but I remember everybody thinking the Poly Six sounded pants. But anything apart from just sort of string pads, at the time, you know, amongst its peers, I, am I am I imagining that? But I don't remember it being no, kind of. You're not imagining it. It was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks for backing me up there. So uh, it did have the Juno 106 to control the Juno range to contend with, didn't it? I suppose. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't remember it being particularly <laughs> well I thought of. Shall I? Shall I say what I think about yeah, it? Yeah, I think you should. <clears throat> it's horribly, horribly overpriced. Why is it so expensive? If it's half price at fourteen ninety nine, why is it so expensive? If it, in in the world of iApps, it's like. Way, way, way more than everything else. I bought, tw- I, I bought Native Instruments iMachine yesterday for 69p. So, so why is this so expensive? I don't all know. The, I, 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 I can only assume there was so something. But it's because it's got 12 voices. <laughs> so it's got more circuits in it. <laughs> there's, there's, there's small developers out there who are, are making stuff and putting it in, in the iTunes app store for like much less money who don't have i mean korg just seem to be 
I don't know. I guess they need to fuel their massive resources, do they, or what? I mean, I don't know. Um, but the, I, I mean, app, apps are trending upwards. I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I did see some articles recently. There was something in the New York Times, um, which I, we get a supplement in one of the Sunday papers here, and it just basically said this whole kind of generation of people who were who were thought they were going to make their living making apps are actually making nothing at all, and it sounds like familiar territory. I know, Rick, um, Dave Spears, synth nut. Have you got a uh, Have you got a Poly Six? Would you have one in your collection? No. I'm sorry. Sorry, this audio is really grim here. Uh, but if you ask whether I've got a Poly 6, no, I haven't. And it kind of fell between the gaps. It fell through the gaps for me when it first came out. I think I was kind of lusting after the Prophet 5s, but living with Junos. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember, it's funny actually, because I do remember trying it out and thinking, because it had a unison mode, or it has a unison mode, which I remember thinking was very cool. And also the arpeggiator was pretty damn cool. But, I mean, this is sort of very early 80s. In fact, it's weird because this demo of the iPad version, and I totally agree with Gaz, I like the cool gaps a lot, sounded better to me than the Poly 6 yeah, did I, I, years ago. I, it, like I said, it was, it was pretty hyped. I remember the Poly 6 sounding a bit thin at the time. I mean, I may be, uh, compared to the Juno, maybe that was it, because that was the contender. Uh, Rich Hilton is looking wonderfully sceptical there, so I'm going to have him come in and uh, blow us all away, hopefully. Curiously, I agree with almost everything that's been said, Ah. even some things that appear to be contradictory. But uh, (laughs) I loved the Poly 6. I didn't think it sounded thin, but it didn't have a chorus built into it like the Rollins of the time, and once you put a chorus on it, it sounded wonderful. Did Just like the Rollins did. It's a single oscillator synth, and they both have very interesting-sounding filters. And I really liked it, and I thought that this app sounded great, and I couldn't wait to go and look at it. And when I did, and I saw 15 bucks, I was horrified, as was Mark. <laughs> right. Um, so I basically sort of, and, I, and as Gaz said, I like the core gaps, and I use their software synths, and I think they sound really good. If I ever really have to have an M1 sound, I have it. Um, but... Uh, you know, and I thought the MS-20, the IMS-20 was very cool, but 15 bucks seems like a heck of a lot of money for a synth I'm never going to use in my iPad. That I, won't even run in my iPad. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Poly 6 did have a chorus, actually, because I remember there was the Poly 6 chorus effect that got added okay. to some of the stuff. But uh, chorus and ensemble, the chat room was saying. Um, it was well benefited from some external beefing up, but ultimately I thought it was a really good-sounding filter and some decent-sounding oscillators wasn't terribly bright, but I liked it. And its day, I thought it was a really uh, cool product for a good price point, and it competed well with other products that were much more expensive. Not terribly bright. I like that. It's a sort of blonde synth. <laughs> <laughs> of the time. I think it had, what did it have, eight memories or 32? I don't know. I think it had eight memories or something. I, yeah, I don't, I don't recall, actually, but uh, it did have memories, I suppose. So that is, again, something. I remember it fondly, so... Uh, but I never, I, don't, ha- I never had I one. I know um, Will Gregory Goldflap's got one, and I remember it was good. It's good for sort of skinny synth, uh, skinny oh. strings, from what I recall, and, and organ sounds. It did those too, those sort of chippy, sort of uh, Grace Jones, Wally Badaru kind of nibbly synth organ sounds. If that's making any sense, or if I'm just using far too many descriptors. Anyway, you can buy it um, should you wish, uh, and it's. Um, Fourteen ninety nine at the moment, so which people still think, seem to th- think is expensive, even uh, even at half price. So uh, yeah. yeah, buy it while you can. Definitely right. Um, I, I guess now is probably as good as time as any to uh, welcome our sponsor and say thank you to them. 
uh, because obviously uh, we we well we wouldn't be able to uh, have a sponsor without having this sponsor. And this is Yamaha, the world of apps. They've got a lot of iOS applications, over 20 available in the music category alone and growing all the time. We've got performance and play mode. We've got ones with uh, built-in arpeggiators, drum pads, sequencers, synth sounds. There's perform play, synth, perform and play, which has uh, just come out. That's not listed here in this. as uh, things for uh, controlling performances on various synthesizers, Yamaha synthesizers, things like the, uh, uh, the voice effects, EQ cutoff, Resonance uh, for the Motif XF, Mox, S90X, S70XS, Motif XS, and Rack XS. You've got voice edit, you've got performance edit, uh, multi-edit. It's again, allows you to sort of set the levels, the pans, the mixing, the EQs, and the effects. There's a little bit of XY pan action on some of these as well. And uh, this is the performance edit one. And not only that, but there's a whole bunch of other useful apps. Uh, one of the ones that we reviewed, which was uh, Setlist, which I really enjoyed, uh, allows you to set up notes and program changes for up to five devices, program and bank changes, and just sort of run it all. It's like this kind of multiple brain of a, of a very comprehensive master keyboard. Uh, record and share with cloud, audio recorder, and many more besides. I'm sure there are more coming too. So if you want to find out all about the world of apps, check out the Yamaha apps at the App Store or go to uk.yamaha.com. Anyway, thank you. Uh, now, the next uh, topic, uh, we did the Poly 6. Uh, yes, Imogen Heaps Gloves. Now, let's see if I can find these because, uh, yes, here we go. Three minutes with Imogen Heap. Let's see if I can just get that in there. That's this one here. I'll get a centralized. Oh, that's interesting. Doesn't seem to want to. Um, let me try that again. No, that's this one. Oh, well, we'll play it and see what happens. There we go. Here it comes. This was a three-minute interview so, uh, with Imogen Heap, who's talking about her kind of. She's got this kind of all-over sensor body kit that just allows her to control lots of stuff on Ableton Live. In um, fact, we got another uh, video of her actually using it at the Wired conference. So, okay, so I'll briefly she doesn't you can see. Take... It's see-through, and I wanted you to be able to see. I wanted people to be able to see the tech. Uh, so we have here bend sensors. There's two on each finger. Here's my wedding ring. I'm, I'm wedded to my gloves. And then in here, I'll just, can you, I don't know if you can hear that. Can you hear that? That's my buzzer. Uh, so it's going at the moment. Um, and so they're all connected together, and then they go up my arm here, um, here, which is eventually going to be active as, a, as another sensor to give me a wireframe, but it's not ready yet. Uh, but at the moment, it's giving power to the lights. And then I won't go over the whole thing, but this was just quite an interesting uh, sort of focus on what Imogen's been up to. She's, I didn't realise this, but later on in the video, she says, you know, they've actually got a whole company together and they're kind of working on developing the whole thing. So to allow kind of human gesture to control lots of stuff. And I know, uh, Dave, you're a bit sceptical about this. In fact, I think I've got a quote for you. Uh, all that sensor tech basically boils down to a filter sweep or two followed by an example of terrible gain structure at the end, which I thought was a bit cruel, but perhaps you're right. Um, I mean, do we, need, do, we, do we need all of this stuff? This sort of maybe tights in with... Uh, ties in with some other topics later but i mean it's an interesting idea the gestural stuff i mean but it it looks like you have to be very devoted to be able to actually come up with anything meaningful with this 
I believe I was commenting about a video that was a year early in with a er, very early incarnation of this technology. Thing is, with Imogen Heap, is whatever she does is always going to be exemplary. She's kind of a kind of muso's muso, isn't she? Yeah. I don't think there's. I mean, the production value of everything she does is always brilliant, whether you uh, whether it's your bag or not. And actually, I love I've loved uh, work from the kind of Frau stuff onwards. So I've got nothing negative to say about it at all. But I'm not sure how this kind of gesture stuff really translates I've, cut, I've I've sort of reached a weird situation this 30 years of MIDI thing today has kind of made me realise there's been yeah. a big conversation Happy birthday, MIDI. with a load of musos and that uh, you know maybe actually instead of disappearing off down a load of cul-de-sacs and going oh this controller or that controller or this one maybe it might have been an idea to actually learn to play an instrument incredibly well but that's <laughs> just my own personal personal experience uh, well, I, I, I can I, I can concur there, but it's quite interesting because we do. I mean, there's quite a number of uh, other. Uh, there's another topic where we where where perhaps we can discuss that as well. Uh, um, but um, we did get an email from uh, Diego Stocco, who is uh, an occasional guest on the show, and he said he saw her at that show, and he saw a show because uh, um, he was doing a presentation too at the Wired show in London. Uh, uh, it seems very complex for her to perform, certainly not a traditional way of performing in front of an instrument, but it takes some serious time to tweak that system to do exactly what you want and learn, learn to control it. Uh, it looks like she's dancing. She's got a set of moves that need to be done specifically in a certain way, otherwise she'll trigger unwanted MIDI events. Lots of things happen with hand gesture. So in fact, it's, it almost seems like you might have to be restricted rather than freed uh, in some ways. So that's, that's the one thing that... Uh, that may be an issue. I know. Um, I've always found uh, contemporary dance certainly a little bit um, um, abstract when it comes to connection with music. I don't know what you think about this as a as a as a potential for to control. Mark, are you kind of interested in this sort of thing, or you know, are there better better ways of I think, going um, about it? I don't know if there's better ways of going about it. I know that we talked about something a, a couple of weeks ago, and I think this really amounts to much the same thing. And that is if you're going to get really innovative when it comes to designing and uh, coming up with controllers for things, then that means there's going to be like a learning curve with learning how to use it as well. So there's that whole mastery over a violin. I think what Dave said is really relevant. Like if I took a violin, it's a conventional instrument, I could spend 30 years learning to master that violin and become an absolutely outstanding violinist. If I, if I design the instrument from the ground up, so I've designed the technology from the ground up, how long does it take me to become a master of that technology? And if I'm constantly tweaking the technology, or if I'm moving with the technology curve, then I've got to kind of tweak my performance to go with that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like when I, it's, you, you can find this out for yourself. All you've got to do is change your mouse or your laptop or your, the way you control from a trackball to a, pointer or whatever and when you first start using it you can't it's frustrating as hell and you can't find your way around your computer and like within a few weeks you'll find that if you go back to trying to type on another keyboard or try you know i mean i know this sounds banal perhaps compared to musical performance but it's the same kind of thing it's about dexterity and teaching your body to do certain things yeah and once you get used to something, then you can start to have well, some kind I, of... I, I wonder about that. I mean, it's interesting that you say, you know, you, for instance, if you were learning to play uh, an instrument uh, like a violin over 30 years oh. or whatever it took you, 
you'd still end up being asked to play, you know, the four <laughs> seasons. That th- you know, there's like maybe four pieces that you're probably going to get paid for playing regularly. Do you know what I mean? And in some ways, you know, we're, a lot of this stuff is about shortcuts to how we can come up with something convincing for a very specific purpose. And I, I, that's interesting. Maybe we can talk about that a bit yeah. further on l- later. With the, I mean, the John, Ot- John Otway did it years and years and years ago, didn't he? He had like pads in his clothes and everything and it's sort of like it just seems to me to be like an exponential kind of evolution of john otway so i'm I'm starting to wonder if she might be related in some (laughs) (laughs) the same sort of level of eccentricity yeah perhaps you're right um i don't know gaz it's one thing that's really pertinent though yeah one thing that's really pertinent is that and this was it kind of came out of a bit of a joke here but actually i think it's really quite a serious thing in that if you learn to play a violin, there's no way that a particular method of bowing is going to be deprecated. Whereas we could completely imagine, you know, somebody investing in all this gear and then Apple or some company <laughs> suddenly turning around and going, we're deprecating the pointing mode. Yeah. Well, what was so that, that, that? Wasted that, all of that. That's true, but that, that was that thing that we saw that could read the position in front of the screen. I can't remember what it was now. Le- that- Leap, leap, yeah, the leap oh, thing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this stuff is coming and coming. So maybe there will be the ability. I mean, that, you know, that's kind of maybe more akin to theremin side of stuff because there's no resistance other than air and position where you are. So uh, it could be interesting. I know, Gaz, I, you've worked with uh, sort of contemporary dance and what have you. Have yes. you ever worked with anybody who's um, worn a suit like this and tried to kind of control the music? Uh, has it ever been successful? Uh, no, I haven't. I do think, though, that it is great in that, it, you know, it's uh, from a performance point of view, it's wonderful because, you know, it, it relates what you're watching relates to the sound you hear. I think, uh, especially when she's doing her filtering and things, you know, I thought I thought that from a show business point of view, you know, it's great. And I don't think you can underestimate that side. Yeah, of it. there were a few instances. Uh, there, there is another demo video where she sort of does this to open it and then pulls it all together. And it, it really the sound reflects what her physical movements are doing. And that's quite yeah. interesting. Now, I've had an interesting day today. I've spent the day with uh, the Soundbeam people who, ah. make, who make these kind of... Um, oh, yeah, they're really cool. Sonic controllers. So it was, uh, someone, yeah, Chevy Travelers, just saying at EMS. Uh, and actually, yeah, the guy was uh, involved in Soundbeam was involved in EMS and uh, actually I spent a lot of the day playing on a, on a VCS3 actually but um, uh, which is always fun but uh, I digress the the sound beam thing is quite cool but they showed me a video which I really liked and it was a guy who, who had some really terrible I think mus- muscular dystrophy or something and um, was in a, a, a motorized wheelchair and was playing a, a guitar solo by actually going backwards and forwards with the yeah, with the wheelchair within the sound beam playing, but actually being you know sustaining certain notes, doing little kind of runs, and just literally just driving forwards, backwards, and forwards within the uh, and got. A, I just thought it was really great to see. I think that. undoubtedly, I mean, the, the the sort of accessibility concept of a lot of this stuff is great. I mean, it's just the sort of nuance of the performers. I mean, you're learning this entirely new... I mean, it seems like, you know, Imogen Heap can make it cool and make it work, but how many Imogen Heaps are there? There aren't all that many, I guess. That is true. I mean, uh, I think with the, the, with the Soundbeam example, for instance, I think that uh, that was initially developed for creative dance, um, I think 25 years ago, thereabouts. 
but then they discovered actually that it's applications within, you know, for uh, people with either learning disabilities or physical disabilities. Uh, and the musical therapy aspect of it was actually a bigger market and a much stronger. Um, right. Uh, and, and, yeah. and, and I've got a friend who works in one of those hospitals and they've got loads of sound beam stuff. And it's really like quite amazing. All these like light tubes and stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So just the, kind of, there's people who can't do any kind of movement at all and they just kind of throw them in the, mm-hmm. the light beam or put them in the light beam. There, there is also another system, uh, infu- it's called Infusion Systems, that you can buy, uh, I think I've got, uh, I don't know if I opened it, I might be able to open the catalogue here and drop it over here and then we can have a look at it, let me see. Um, Could you imagine trying to get it through airport security? Uh, yeah, that would be tricky. There, Touch Glove L version 1.7, so it's one glove, 360 US dollars, and it's probably got, I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure what interfacing it would have, but you'd have to turn it into, well, I guess, you know, it's possible you would turn it into MIDI, I suppose. I know, Rich, is this, you know, uh, does this have any influence on your world, or is it kind of, do you think there could be any spin-offs, you know, in the same way that uh, NASA technology has given us the ballpoint pen <coughs> and non-stick frying pans, or the musical equivalents, is there, is there anything like this that's going to going to work a filter down to us could you see possibly maybe um i i agree again with almost everything that's been said uh i find imaging fascinating in general um as a musician and as a artist and uh this could be pointing towards something that will ultimately be an extremely expressive environment into which somebody will produce something magical uh, it hasn't yet, from what I've seen, but it could, and I admire her for going there. Um, but the history of alternate controllers is sort of littered with failed attempts on the side of the road, and it's difficult for the reasons that Mark described, which is that nobody puts 30 years into it. They invent something and try to become a virtuoso on it in the first two years, and the only thing I can think of that hasn't been that way really is a Chapman stick, Yeah, where people have continued to play. The Chapman stick. And before that, the last thing I can think of was the theremin, which didn't exactly catch on in the way that Bob Mogan hoped, but still is a very interesting instrument. And people have devoted like lifetimes of practice towards getting good at it, and you can see the results. And so as these things develop, there may come to be results yeah. that are worthy of our admiration. That's, there's an interesting point there with uh, the Eigenharp, the big Eigenharp, the Alpha. Yeah. You know. Because uh, I, I, I had a, the Pico, the little one, um, uh, a few years back. Um, and part of the thing about that was to try and create like a controller that is, uh, that is a, that's going to take a, a lifetime to, um, to master. Uh, but I looked on YouTube just to see now, now it's been out for a few years, just to see, to see what people were doing with it. But um, there's not a lot of stuff going on. In fact, um, Imogen Heap was one of the kind of poster children of the uh, Eigen Harp, the original, and I haven't seen her using it a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, yes, I agree, I and mean, that that was a very strange project. I mean, it must have cost millions of pounds, but uh, there are a couple of still people evangelising it. But they, you know, it's an ex- it seems to me it's going contrary to what everybody else is going. You know, it's it's going in completely the opposite direction to what everybody else is attempting to do with technology, which is make everything yeah. more accessible. And uh, that kind of leads on to the next question. You know, which is if that's the case, what 
will we need to excel at to be to, to stand out because if everything is being sort of dumb not dumbed down but made more and more and more accessible then how are we going to um how are we actually going to kind of be any good at stuff other than you know i'm really good That's at uh, playing the, the the fake trumpet on the iphone or what do you see what i mean i'm very uh, good at approximating things given the the, the the technology that is enabling me to approximate things with great ease how am i, I going to stand out i don't think it's going to be a case of good is it because um if you have like the mixer we had last week the line six mixer which gives you the perfect live sound because it's got all the presets and it does the vocal in exactly the right way to produce you know your modern or whatever contemporary vocal sound and your guitar sounds exactly as it should and everything else it's going it's it's not going to be a case of better it's going to be a case of actually finding ways to make because I'm I could go into a massive rant about synthesizers, actually. I mean, synthesizers, ever since I first saw one up until now, have all sounded roughly the same. And we set out to try and uh, make sounds that sounded like real orchestral instruments, and then we discovered that they made their own kind of noises, and it always seems to include VCF, or uh, low-pass filtering, resonance, LFOs, and then maybe a bit of sample and hold. All those kind of elements go into, like, our classic synth sounds, right? But surely synthesizers could do so much more if somebody just thought about new ways of connecting them up. So it's got to be, somebody's got to step outside of the way that everyone else is doing it and create something radically different. Well, isn't that what modular synthesis is? I mean, I've been using the modular synth a little bit recently because I've hooked up the Max uh, 49 Akai keyboard, which has got CV and gate out. I just sort of fired it up. And I'm like, oh, look, I can plug the... You know, that's what I do with that. I mean, but those systems are more niche. I mean, as soon as you make... You're making an instrument that is intended for larger consumption, then you have to kind of simplify to a degree or have to do things that make things easier so that people can just kind of go, hey, I've got a great sound out of it. So, I mean, it's not... I I think... I, I, I take your point... Uh, certainly, uh, and one thing that um, uh, it's gone past now. As you had said in the chat room, that you know maybe what we should do is excel at making music again instead of messing around, which is a very good point. TC TC eleven on the iPad, I think, is so different from anything else out there in terms of just a completely different approach. Saying that, the actual underlying synthesis is not that different, but the the way that you interact with it, I've never seen anything quite like it. So, right. Uh, well, maybe it, maybe it's going to work then. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's just you know, I don't know whether or not any of this stuff is going to be of any use. I mean, what do you think about that, Rich? The fact that you know, obviously, we still are going to need people to play in bands live or what have you. But it seems to me that the the difference between the process and the actual ability are is diverging not converging you know so it's just you know yeah you that that violin you played was beautiful but listen to this amazing piece of electronic music or production or approximation of something complicated i've done on my phone you know well i'm not sure about that and here's a couple of reasons why and it feeds into your question and the point i was making a minute ago the most recent controller style that i see taking hold that is actually showing some results is button pushing right and that would include machine uh, the Ableton controller, the Novation controller, and various things like that. And I see certain people getting absolutely remarkable results 
out of the button-pushing music-making process, which is completely foreign to the techniques I grew up with and learned, but it doesn't preclude it as a means by which to make music. And that gets to my point about you are a musician in your body, and that's the physical actions that you take in order to bring about the music that, that is the music of your mind. And they're separate pursuits. There are people with tremendous amounts of musicianship who don't have a lot of technique, and that's the best example I can give of the yeah, difference yeah, between yeah, I, yes, I, being I a musician you. of the body and a musician of the mind. So nothing precludes an extremely musical person from assuming a role like Imogen's trying to do right now and becoming extremely expressive within that medium. And she's made some good strides. That wasn't a bad performance at all. And it did produce some interesting and surprising results, which is sort of what she was after. And she's fun to watch anyway. So it was all cool and everything. But um, So you've got the musician of the body and mind issue. And then you've also got the, what happens in the democratization of the process and what kind of results happen. And that feeds into Mark's point about how people don't practice for 30 years to get really, really good at stuff anymore. They just kind of pick them up and start doing it. And um, the democratization of the process does lead to certain kinds of results that have become much more pervasive in our society and might have something to do with why every year's Grammy Awards show is all about stuff that happened 40 years ago. <laughs> and why that beautiful castle in your hometown that you drive past every day is no longer made of stone by a mason, but is a fiberglass molding, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. It's the painted styrofoam. Yeah, the, the, the shop fitter kind of approach, the set building, that kind of concept. Uh, and yeah, yeah exactly. it's interesting. Um, uh, and perhaps something we can discuss more widely. There, we've got a couple of topics left that I was hoping to get to as well. Um, the first of all is uh, obviously the, the Rich. This is one that you popped in, which was uh, the new Chromebooks. And uh, this kind of really blew me away a little bit, actually, because I hadn't really noticed. But uh, if we go to here, um, that Google have announced these new Chromebooks. There's there's a couple of them. They're under two hundred bucks. And I, I, although, yes, it's just a, a, some technology, it could be a, a, a very interesting challenge. Again, another challenge. It's got all sorts of features that you don't get for more money on things like iPads or what have you because you've got multiple logins, you've got all of these things. I, I know, Rich, maybe you could um, chip in first because, I mean, you, you brought this up. I mean, what is it that, that kind of caught you about, caught your eye about the, this announcement? It's something that looks like a MacBook Pro, uh, MacBook Air, rather, for about. 250 bucks yeah and provides certain functionality but is not a full-on laptop and what it really is is a cloud portal and it's the first product i can recall of its kind that is specifically designed to be nothing really more than a, an enhanced browser environment thin client i think they call it in uh, in computing terms or used to anyway but yeah uh, it's not too bad i mean it's got like uh, uh it's an arm processor dual 1.7 gigahertz you know so it's not too shabby a couple of gigs of ram uh eight gigs of local storage and and it's i, I it's all non-moving parts so it boots up in like seven seconds and the battery life is you know hours and hours and hours and it's got a webcam and it's got various other things i mean i don't know whether it'll become a viable platform for maybe real-time stuff in terms of music making i mean that's another question but well no and i don't see it that way and that's why i don't see it as a laptop it's really just sort of a it assumes a few things that most of most people's lives are contained within a browser window on a computer yeah 
and that their cloud services are so comprehensive that they can supply you with pretty much everything you need to be able to use this thing in any environment in which you can connect 3G, and why only 3G, or Wi-Fi, up to end speed. Yeah. So for the money and for what it offers, it presumes a few things, but it's really a pretty amazing amount of services for 250 bucks. I agree. And, of course, uh, it also run Flash, so your kids can play Friv and all of that kind of stuff that they tend to go on, you know, all their kind of uh, moshy monsters and all that kind of nonsense, which you'll know about if you've got kids. Um, is it going to make a difference? Mark, would you, do you think it would be good enough for you to not to stop borrowing your, uh, your partner's laptop and get yourself... Uh, oh, God, I don't know. That's I, wonder if the, I, I wonder if it would actually work. I've got VMware on my MacBook Pro, and I try... try I'll say that again. I tried downloading the Google Chrome OS, oh, yeah. and then, um, which I think, and I might have this wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a flavour of Linux, Google Chrome Probably OS. something like that, yeah, most, so, most of these are. And then the other thing I was playing around with was Ubuntu, which is also another flavour of Linux, which uh, they're very similar, but um, I think, I don't know, I mean, it's just... What happened to the sub one hundred dollar laptop that they were trying to develop for India? Because that it's out. Is it it's out? Is it? Oh yeah, it's been out. I think they're working on the second one, and uh, um, yeah, it's it's happening. Well, I don't know. I, I think it could so be. How does this compare to it? Sorry, it's a completely different thing. I is mean, it okay? The the, the Zoe was developed specifically for um, for. You know, in hospitable areas, uh, with a they designed the Zoe as well to be unappealing to to make it look very much like a, ch- a children's product as well, so to stop people stealing them. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, a, 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 monoch- a, a monochrome monochrome screen as well, and that that that, that you can view. Oh, it. So totally different kind of thing. I mean, this this thing's cool, isn't it? I think it well, could be. I mean, I was thinking about it from my point of view. I mean, I could quite easily do most of the stuff that I need to do on it apart from video editing. Re- regarding that OS conversation, Mark, there are two different OSs. There's the Google Chrome OS and there's the Chromium OS. Now, they may both be based okay. in Linux, but you can't download Google Chrome OS. The only way you get that is well, to buy one of these devices. <laughs> Well, no, you can apparently download you can Chromium. If you, you can find it if you look in the right places. But um, well, all right, I didn't okay. tell you that. It runs okay. on an ARM processor. I'm sure it's possible to, to do that kind of stuff. But, yeah, okay. Uh, it could be a bit of a game changer because Google definitely, you know, they've got the 159-quid tablet, the Nexus, uh, and then you've got these laptops, which are just dirt cheap, really, by, by most standards and, and will be adequate for most purposes. So, yeah, it could be. I mean, I don't know whether there's going to be much in the way of music that can happen on them. Um, I did actually find this uh, Jam with Chrome thing. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a kind of bonkers. This is just HTML5. So you pick an instrument, and uh, I'm not sure what will happen here if I play this. So I can probably... I can go into pro mode. It's a bit laggy, but, you know, I mean, get various different instruments there. So maybe, you know, maybe there's going to be an advance, an advance in the kind of latency, which there has been with Android. I I don't know. We'll see. But interesting development. I'd I'd quite like to get older one, actually. (laughs) But, um, But, yeah. 
I don't think I will just yet. You can get them in the UK and the US only, I think. And um, does this appeal to you, Dave? Or are you, are you kind of, you know, you were talking about getting away from Apple. Now you can get, buy into another mega conglomerate. Yeah, Google my least knows. Oh, uh, I, I, sorry, I have no real opinion on this. I got to this topic quite late. It looked cool, reminded me of uh, when a certain company was trying to brand computers, a uh, certain MI company was trying to brand computers, but didn't have an operating system, so they couldn't get them at the right price. Um, but other than that, sorry. No. Okay, fair enough. Nothing. I don't know if there'll be any uh, possibilities of developing. Okay, right, let's have a look at the next uh, the next topic. I, I don't know if you get the chance to uh, check out the new Donald Fagan album, uh, Sunken Condos, which has just come out. Um, uh, well, it's not just come out, but it's been, it hasn't been out all that long. I think I've got a short video I can probably play uh, if I talk over it, because this is Letterman National TV, which I probably don't want to uh, get busted for on YouTube. So if I'm rambling, it's purely so that I don't uh, get fingerprinted. So this is Donald Fagan on The Letterman Show. Uh, with, And it sounds pretty damn close to what's going on in the album. And it's your classic... Mark, I can see Mark is grimacing at this. It's all minor ninths and... Uh, <laughs> So there's a bit of Donald Fagan uh, playing the roads there. Uh, it's I know Gaz, you brought this up because I know you're a fan of uh, this the kind of production, and it does sound pretty good. But it doesn't half sound like it was. It could have been made in the same year as Nightfly. Uh, kind of, although musically, perhaps musically, yeah. Um, you know, Steely Dan of. I, I use Steely Dan, the Asia album, and actually the song Asia, really, as, as my default studio kind of comparison song, in a way, because of how beautifully recorded it is. And, uh, you know, Steely Dan, in many ways, represent that kind of pinnacle of, uh, of polished production, you know, which I know that a lot of people struggle with a little bit, you know. Um, I always think Steely Dan is an interesting act, because they, they, they balance this kind of absolute perfection with some of the darkest and most twisted lyrics in the whole canon of rock music, you know, um, and I love that. I love that. I love that uh, thing. Those are Lotharios, aren't they? It's kind of, <laughs> you can just imagine them sitting in the back, sitting in sort of plush rooms, taking kind of really uh, bizarre cocktails of uh, Class A drugs. <laughs> but it, you know, um, and, and I, think it, I think what's been quite interesting in terms of production is that they've, they used Roger Nichols, who sadly died uh, a couple of years back, as their engineer on pretty much every product, every every project, and uh, Gary Katz was the producer. Um, but this album is actually been has actually been produced by kind of a new guy who's relatively young. Uh, I think he's thirty eight years old. Um, Michael Leonard. Michael Leonard, yeah, and he uh, he he's like been playing trumpet in the touring steely dan for since the mid 90s but he's uh he's kind of stood up uh, he's like the producer of this project and, well not only uh, that but he's sort of he's kind of played almost everything on it i mean he's got clavinet vibraphone percussion trumpet glockenspiel fender roads mini moog mellophone uh, organ accordion flugelhorn wurlitzer mellotron yeah, percussion background vocals and he's also got a, a, a name earl cook jr which is also him and, pl- and he played the drums Mm. It's just that, that that's a pretty bizarre. That's a pretty kind of high quality yeah. multi instrumentalist there. If that's the sort of thing he, that kind of does it for from, you, he does come from a very illustrious musical family. His father is a famous jazz bass player, Jay uh, Leonhardt, and um, uh, and I think is obviously a, a a great musician. Um, 
I really like the production and the arrangement on this album a lot. And I think, you know, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that, yes, it is kind of stuck in time in some respects. You know, there's no, uh, there's no dubstep uh, element. On <laughs> Which is kind of um, good. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that could be good. I'd just like to maybe get uh, the, um, what other people uh, feel about this. I, D- Dave, am I right in thinking you were a fan of Steely Dan and that whole kind of thing at the time, or is that was it a bit too smooth for you? Uh, I am. I've got very, yeah, mixed feelings on this. In fact, it's so funny, because when this came out, I had a bit of a debate with somebody on Facebook. They called it Sunken Career, and I was like, oh, don't, don't be so crass. And then there was this huge debate I had with somebody in the MI industry who said that the drums on this were programmed and some of the drums on Gaucho were programmed. And I was like, there is absolutely no way, if that's the case, if there were programmed drums on Gaucho, I will kill myself now. (laughs) And I think he was hoping that there would be some programmed drums on Gaucho. I think there was one track, wasn't there? But for me, that whole Bernard Purdy shuffle and all the rest of it was brilliant. And I kind of... I found Nightfly cold... Uh, whereas I love Gaucho. Asia, as Gaz says, is the kind of benchmark. I, I still play Peg on the piano every other day. Um, and I was kind of intrigued by this. I realised how I'd missed some of those changes for the last few years. But then, after about sort of five tracks, I was like, yeah, okay, enough. There isn't much new. I mean, it's it's very... But I, I don't know if that's a bad thing. One thing that I thought was quite amusing, there's the track in there called The New Breed, which is essentially... What it sounds like is, uh, is Fagan uh, talking of a scenario where he's moaning about somebody he knows, whether it's a lover or whatever, um, has been wooed by someone who knows all about technology and dot-com and all this kind of new life, and he's kind of a bit miserable and pee- peeved about it. it. And it, it sort of makes me understand and maybe what's going on with the whole album a little bit, because it's quite, it's quite funny when you sort of listen to it in that context. But, um, yeah, maybe not. I don't, uh, Rich, are you, a, uh, are you a Fagan fan? I mean, does this kind of uh, float your boat at all? Is this the sort of thing that you, does it for you? In 1978, my band used to do a 45-minute set of Steely Dan music. Right. Um, <laughs> which would have caused Mark to go running to the next town, I realize. But, but, um, I'm saving Mark but, to last because I have a feeling he will but, not be. Uh, I, enjoy, I downloaded this this morning and played it, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it more as it went along, and I can't decide if that's because I was getting used to it or if I like the songs in the second half better than I like the songs in the first half. Um, in general, it's extremely well done and uh, bluesier than I would have expected in general in terms of the uh, structures. Uh, he still does like to cram all 12 chromatic tones into every chord in one form or another, and I have to admire that about the man, even though it's not something I like to do in every chord. Uh, and it was fun. I, I need time to absorb it some more. Yeah, like there's a lot there, good. I suppose. I mean, I, I, I've listened to it a couple of times, and I, I, I'm just sort of feeling a little bit... I, I have to say, I've I, listened to it 20 times now, at least. Ah, okay. So, uh, and I Why? found... Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, the drums were played and looped. On sunken, not programmed, according to the chat room. Sonic's nine. Uh, well, some of them were obviously looped. Yeah, I, I haven't no, had a chance to. to, to and I guarantee you, pretty much all of it is gridded. Um, Mark, I would like, <laughs> I would like to come to you now. I'm going to be extremely kind. 
actually. Oh. I have, because I could be absolutely scathing about it, but I'm sitting amongst a panel of... Steely Dan fans. People. One, two, three, four other people. Three other people, I can't count. Four other people who all seem to like this. And you know what? When I was like 17 or 18, I absolutely hated the Carpenters. And my mum used to play it all the time. It used to drive me nuts. And I was kind of force-fed the Carpenters, I suppose. And, and, and now I absolutely love Karen Carpenter's voice. I think it's like she's just got the most gorgeous sound. So when I first started working with Duran, the sound engineer, Mr. Davey Moore, Davey Moore, um, insisted on playing Ruby Baby to uh, check the PA yeah. every single day. <laughs> and I, with the result is me throwing things around and screaming, turn this effing shit off! <laughs> and everybody, all the Americans, looking absolutely bewildered because they all thought it was great. So, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, come back to me in 20 years' time when I've grown up and I might like it. But it just seems... Uh, I don't know. It doesn't have any soul for me. Sorry. I I think you're totally entitled to that. And I must admit, I think if it, if this was the sort of thing I don't I didn't like, this would be almost the essence of the stuff I don't like. You know, it's the in its purest form. This is it. If you see what I mean. And I can understand how you might feel about that. I, I I've only listened to it a couple of times. I mean, it, sonically and you know, it sounds like there was a number of you know, it was there's quite a lot of live keyboards on there. I think, and it would be not. I like to think that perhaps as much of it was played in takes and then assembled as much as possible. Uh, but I don't know whether that's the case or, or likely to be. His previous solo album, Morph the Cats. Uh, which came out in '96, uh, sorry, 2006, was all, all recorded to tape. And I remember Donald Fagan in interviews around that time sort of saying, yeah, you know, I don't need any of this fancy stuff, just let's, you know. Get yeah, a tape sounded way better then, though, didn't it? Yeah, but well, I, I, I can understand that. It still doesn't, actually. But, but that, uh, doesn't that kind of, uh, I'm just wondering whether or not, you know, I don't know how you would produce somebody like Donald Fagan, um, being as he's got the kind of musical genius of the size of a planet and any suggestion you might make might seem appear to be kind of insignificant and worthless i don't it must be take you it must be quite an interesting dynamic i mean i don't know what he's like to work with but i i mean he's obviously very uh focused on the way that he wants to present his music in in as is you know referenced by the fact that this sounds very much of the donald fagan mode you know oh. mode there's nothing different to my ears about the musical content which is I, I was a little bit disappointed by as far as people who've been in big bands who leave big bands and then go on to do like really important solo things i have to say that i definitely prefer donald fagan to phil collins <laughs> <laughs> that's that's i i i think i think that that is probably a compliment um uh, and it should be taken as such. So yeah, that's very big of you, Mark. <laughs> I think I probably do too, but that's um, that's another story completely. Uh, yeah, sunken condos available now. Uh, we're hoping that we might be able to get a chance to talk with uh, Mr. Leonard. Actually, Gaz has uh, contacted him, and there may be a possibility that he'll come on and talk about the production of of the record, which would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, because it's, I mean, the other thing is, is. At the time, Steely Dan records were considered to be the pinnacle of production. It was that and Little Feet and those kind of things were really just sort of the, the kind of, you know, large, large band with lots of brass and lots of things, you know, really quite amazingly, uh, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? They were the, 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 they were the pinnacle of production for the, of the time, I suppose. I don't know if you'd agree with that. And I suppose it brought up uh, another question, which uh, we could sort of tack on to the end of this, which was really kind of, what is the last record or track where, that you bought that you actually thought about the production and thought, oh, that's really good, rather than the production actually being the track, which is kind of the case in sort of dance, where there's less about, it's less about the song and the structure and more about the sound and, and that side of things. Hmm. Interesting. Anybody got an answer to that? Dave, quick, save me. Have I just hit a tumbleweed moment? Or d- Plan is, B. It, is it irrelevant? Plan B? That was the um, last album that I bought that where I kind of really, really sat and analysed the production value of it. Right. No doubt. I, no doubt. Hella good. I'd like, I really liked that song. And then after I decided that I liked the song, I started to think, hang on a minute, there's something really clever about this. And then I sort of started to analyze that. And uh, maybe the Cardigans album as well. I really liked that. Sp- didn't Spike Stent uh, mix uh, hella good? I, probably if Spike Stent mixes anything, it's going to sound brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to sound a hell of a lot like a lot of uh, smacking the two-bus compressor on the, on the SSL as well. But that's, he's very good at that. I know, Rich, how about you? I mean, do you get the opportunity to listen with that degree of, uh, um, you know, to stuff that you're not working on? Oh, yeah, sure. Got anything you care to contribute? <laughs> to- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing I bought was the new John McLaughlin album. The thing before that was the new album by Chicory and Gary Burton. Um, I downloaded Fagan's this morning just so I could speak about it today. Um, do you think? I mean, do you think that the production is kind of Mark O'Connor, Yo-Yo Ma, and Edgar Meyer? Uh, I just downloaded recently. Do you think the? Produ- I mean, the production seems to have been. It, it, it's become blurred against the, you know that it's it's almost well certainly in in contemporary pop and dance it's more important than you know than anything else really. Whereas yeah. on tracks like this, it's sort of perhaps more about how the project was managed. Do you think, or is that? Perhaps a bit too much of a generalization. I find I'm, not, it, I'm not even sure what that distinction is. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to respond to the question. I think production is eating people's ability to be musicians, actually, way more so than it ever has done in the past. So when people come along and sing and then, like, vocode everything, it's like, hang on a minute, why did they do that? I actually want to hear what... I mean, I know we had that thing about Adele the other week when we were talking about the Bond tune and the fact that she was singing out of tune, but I'm starting to like the idea that people could sing out of tune. Imperfection, yeah. I've started downloading lots of Indian music, so I've just downloaded an album by a man called Asad Ali Khan, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, because I put this, uh, I just put something on on Last FM and it came up, and for like the first two to three minutes of the track, it sounds like he's tuning his sarangi and it's kind of like going right through the entire musical range. And I'm like going, like, whoa, that's weird. And no production value at all. But in terms of like hearing, and, oh God, that sounds awful. But in terms of hearing music doing something that I'm not used to, in other words, not being stuck in that regimented, there's 12 notes in every octave kind of thing, it's really interesting to listen to. Mm, so it's a lot more challenging um, from a musical point of view. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought. I don't know whether or not uh, the art of production, you know, whether, whether people kind of get to do it anymore because the budgets have sort of shrunken so much that... Uh, it, in, in a way, like the greatest production ever, 1987, 
Talk Talk Spirit of Eden. Okay. Still, as not yes. As not been has still not been bettered. Okay. It's weird. And that album, we could do a whole show on, I swear. In terms oh, well, maybe of- we'll talk about that. I, I, I haven't listened to it for ages. Uh, Dave, you're looking animated. You would want to Absolutely, chip in. definitely. No, completely agree with that. And I was just going to hold the book up for Gaz to see because I got, got it, it through the other day. It. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's absolutely awesome. Oh, is there a book? But the other thing that I just want to say is that, that uh, another one of my absolute favourite bands is the Blue Nile. And you were saying about Steely Dan being the kind of pinnacle of production. That's true. Blue Nile guys were in a studio in uh, Glasgow and the Lynn, you know, remember the Lynn turntable guys came in, heard the track, heard a track of theirs and decided to found a label in order to put this out so they could play it in their kind of audiophile showrooms. And then the band went on to become kind of so much more than just a audiophile yeah, showroom so, band and yeah. they've been they've had the the two first albums walk across the rooftops and hats remastered and i did download those i bought them again and downloaded those and they're brilliant because of the amount of space that's in it's that very production. interesting because it's very it's it it's it's electronic undoubtedly but there is also enough analog musicianship and what have you around it that makes it kind of live and breathe it's very which uh, is yeah. so talk talk which is yeah. so you know that spirit of eden album and uh, I, I absolutely adore those bands spirit uh, of eden I just got, quite quickly oh, oh sorry uh, oh, of eden. i'm changing the topic you keep talking recorded it was recorded what's dead fascinating about it it came out in 19 well it came out in 1988 i guess it was recorded through 87 it was recorded onto digital onto digital tape, 32-track Mitsubishi. Uh, I think I'm right about that. But the thing that's very cool about it is all the front end was all pre-1967 preamps and microphones. So, it, And there's no digital reverb or anything on it. It's all kind of all very organic sounding. So you've got that kind of mixture mm. of digital and analog. Interesting. And, and it's just we're, we're, we're only coming to that now, that kind of, you know, you, you that approach. That was it. That's what I wanted to say. So. I, think, I, I think for me, probably the best produced or the best sounding production I, that, that still mem- sticks in my mind is uh, KD Lang Ingenue. It's still, and it's not electronic in any way. It's totally acoustic. It just sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, it's one of the most brilliant sounding records I think of you know of an age. Well, Dave, you've got the talk. To- what is that? Is that about the recording of Talk Talk, Dave? Mm, it's everything about Talk Talk, signed by James Marsh. I'm just make, I'm just doing this so I can watch Gaz visibly wet himself live on air. <laughs> is that a special? Is that a special book then? It's a special edition kind of thing. I, I, yeah, I did. I did a treatment for a talk talk book about three four years ago about the making of Spirit of Eden, but unfortunately there was two obstacles. So when I heard that that book was coming out, I was like, oh, oh well. <laughs> I want to counter you with um, with uh, Japan Tin Drum. Yeah, oh, absolutely I... brilliant. Ghosts is just like the most yes. fabulous track. But if you've never heard Rain Tree Crow, which is really Japan pretending to be a different band, absolutely, totally recommend that. And the production on it is absolutely brilliant. And the Dolphin Brothers. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's just quite interesting how, you know, what you take as your benchmarks of production, isn't it? That, that, and kind of how, it, uh, how they go. But yeah, th- all good suggestions. I think before one we... Thing, oh, one thing, yeah, one very quick thing. I've been listening to, I came into some multi-tracks recently and the production value has never been more... Ex- in fact, it's probably mastering. 
has never been more exemplified. Staying Alive was one of the master tracks that I came into. And without that tough production, it just sounds like I'm mastering. It sounds like, when you strip it back, it sounds like a kind of slightly dodgy country song. Wow. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. I, uh, uh, that's a, a brilliant, um, uh, yeah, brilliant production. And now we've got to plug Dave Robinson. Oh, yes. No, I was going to say that. I, there was one other thing. Um, because I had the same stuff as, you know, when you're listening to, we had a multi-track of uh, KC and the Sunshine Band. Um, I forget, Get Down Tonight, because we remixed it and did a terrible house treatment in the 90s, for which I apologise now. But the multi-track, uh, the vibe was great, but the sound of it, I mean, they did so much in the mix, and I could never, I could, how the hell they managed to do that, because it sounded sort of nothing like the record when you pushed the faders up, apart from the fact that it was all in the right order, and, you know, it sounded you know, like it was played properly. But yes, we should plug uh, Dave Robinson. Dave Robinson said he couldn't make it here this week, but uh, he's actually playing tonight as part of the uh, Daphne Oram uh, Aramix en- exhibition, are playing a live gig at the Science Museum. He and Martin Swan of the Vile Electrodes are appearing as composed versus capacitors doing a 35 minute set of live electronics in a tangerine dream orbital vein for those who want details he's playing a base station driving a minotaur uh, meanwhile he's got uh, NPCs a master clock a couple of samples of Daphne Oron saying things like music electronics in a posh 50s voice that was my attempt <laughs> that's not actually her you might have guessed uh, and driving Asli Miami drum machine um, if you want to go and have a listen it's free it's on at 8.15 tonight uh, at the Science Museum in uh, London, England. So a bit short notice, but you've got time if you're in London or just outside. There's DJing and other stuff too. Uh, yes, and um, so there we go. I think that's right. Do you know anything more about this, Dave Spears, or is that about cover it? I did read out his words verbatim, so I'm guessing yeah, exactly. should, should cover yeah. it. So yeah, good good on you, Dave. It would be nice to see, I, I wish we could be there, actually, see Dave doing a gig. I don't think the last time I saw Dave even sat behind a keyboard was when he did the uh, Top 20 Greatest Synths and was um, showing us the D50. And there's some great outtakes of him trying to find parameters in the sort of ridiculous menu system. <laughs> so uh, it was very funny. Um, so anyway, I guess, uh, unless there's anything anybody wants to add, that's pretty much it for this week. I want to say thank you to everybody for joining us and uh, to those in the chat room. We had a, a fulsome, oh gosh, I think, full, a fulsome number of people. Um, please do come again next week and, um, and every week when we can make it. I'll try and let you know if it's not going to happen. But generally, week by week, you should also, as the technology's been working, be able to see this. Uh, up on YouTube a bit later on and uh, I wanna, oh, also wanted to say th- uh, hello and thank you to the folks that I saw at a uh, music production show in London uh, at the Emirates Stadium uh, in London on Friday uh, a, a large number of people came up and said hello which was really nice to hear so uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time to say hi and uh, for continuing to watch and listen to our stuff so anyway we'll say um, thanks very much to Mark Tinley reclining oh, there sorry lounging lounging Mark thank Wake you very up. much for joining us I really appreciate that You're and very um, welcome. your opinions and, uh, and points always welcome so thank you very much Some- for joining us Somebody in the chat room said Bill Laswell, and I was going to agree with that as well. And as a producer, I, or was he a bass player? Yeah, but as a producer, he's brilliant. He did the ambient reflections of Bob Marley and Dub, which is another one of my favourite records, and I totally recommend that you go and buy that as well. 
So th- and oh, thank okay. you. Okay, no, we'll check that. Thanks. Uh, I'll try and get, so if you can send me links, then I can try and get all this stuff in the show notes if possible. So thanks cool. very much, Mark. And we'll go back very to well. uh, to Dave Spears over there in uh, in in sunny. Well, it's dark out there now, isn't it? Uh, over wherever you are. Well, it's sunny Dave. middle of nowhere. Sunny middle of nowhere. Sunny middle of no. Well, no. Yeah, dark middle of nowhere. There's a film crew outside. They're filming Molly Moon. Anyway, Molly I Moon. probably shouldn't have said that. I know, it's probably yeah. NDA. Uh, but yeah, Dave, G4 Software makes of fine instruments and ra- reason rack extensions. Thank you very much for joining us too. Thank you. And uh, now we come down to the uh, second row, um, just purely because uh, that's where... Uh, they are in the Skype topography. Uh, we'll say thank you very much to Gaz Williams. If Gaz speaks, then I can uh, I can get him. Uh, see if I can get which window he jumps into. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, I've been checking out Trash Two by Isotope over the last few days. I uh, just wanted to mention that because uh, it's just new out and it's been blowing me away. It's absolutely brilliant. If you want to kind of just download the demo, check it out. It's amazing. I've been doing all sorts of wild and wacky stuff with it and uh, I just wanted to mention that because whilst it was uh, hot um, yeah brilliant I mean putting if you want to DI if you just want to DI a guitar in and you want to do something and like much more fundamental kind of tweak uh, brilliant okay all right so isotope trash 2 is that yep do check it out. Thanks for the tip, Gaz. And uh, we'll say thanks to uh, Rich Hilton, uh, who's, uh, as we said, joined us finally back online and uh, all back together. Uh, he's got all his um, his damp clothes dried out from the Hurricane Sandy attack. And uh, I'm guessing back to work now, is it? Uh, you've got, are you going to have to catch up on a load of projects that got uh, postponed? Well, I'm guessing the studio. Was the studio all right? I don't know if it was. It's all right. But, uh, yeah, we do have some work to do. Okay. Well, I won't um, keep you any longer. <laughs> I know that limousine or perhaps the jet ski is waiting to take you to work now. The canoe. The canoe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rich, thank you very much. Thank you. Right, we'll see you, um, see you all next time. And that was Sonic Talk number 293 uh, for the 28th of November. Once again, thanks to Yamaha for sponsoring the show. And uh, go check out their apps. They've got tons of them. <laughs>